we have made it through the life of Paul, and now we're going to talk um, over the next, God willing, uh, probably about uh, till the end of 09 on Paul's theology. And these classes will um, interest some of you uh, more than others. Some of you may decide it's time to find a new class. I hope that's not true, but if so, God bless you. And uh, we've got a bunch of wonderful Sunday school classes. Uh, but for those of you who want to stay in here, this has become uh, a little bit more than, than simply telling the stories of Paul's life at this point. Instead of maybe Sunday school, this now becomes a Sunday graduate school. Uh, this, is, this is something where we're, we're, we've got, this is not your father's Oldsmobile, okay? This is like um, going to be fun. This is going to be an adventure. This is going to be an opportunity to, to uh, kick up our game a notch or two in what we, we know. Because we're studying theology. That word itself is such a, a really cool word. It's, it's a word that um, come, it, it comes from two Greek words. The Greek word for theos. Y'all are going to have to practice with me to make it through this class. So you've got to say theos. Theos. Wonderful. You have just said God in Greek, okay? Theos is God in Greek. It's the same Greek word that would be used, not only did Paul use it of the real, true, one God, but it's the Greek word that a normal Greek person would use when referencing uh, Zeus or, or any other of their pantheon of gods. Theos is a normal, everyday Greek word for God. Uh, it goes with another word, logos, say logos, Logos. We know logos because it's the Greek word for word. We get an English word from it. Logic. It means something that's reasoned or, or something that's spoken of or something that, that, that's read. It's, it's the logic. It's the, the reasoning. It's the talk. It's the word. And so if you take theos and logos and put it together, you have Theology, theologos, and it means literally words about or talking about or reasoning about or thinking about God. So in this class, if we're going to talk about Paul's theology, and today's the overview class so that we get our brain adjusted to what we're going to be doing in here. If we're going to talk about Paul's theology, we're going to be talking about what Paul said and what Paul thought about God in various areas. So those of you who've been in the class for the life of Paul know that we're going to need to change this just a little bit. Our, intro, our opening slide will no longer be the same because this is not just Paul's life, it's what Paul was thinking about God. So we have, <laughs> we have Paul's theology that we will be covering here in this class. And uh, I ask you to join me on this journey. Um, this class gets played on the radio by Terry Lowry on uh, uh, his radio show on AM radio. And I frankly have no idea how this will translate to radio listeners without seeing some of these slides. So anybody who's listening to this on the internet or, or, or on the radio is urged to go to our website and actually pull up some of the slides uh, uh, off of our website, which is the www.biblical-dash 
www.theologyofliteracy.com. So, now that we've got this introduction ready to go, we're going to talk about theology. Theos, God. Logos, ology or word, talking about God. Now, there are lots of ologies. Has anybody ever taken any ology classes? Sure. The ologies, most of them wind up coming out of the Greek dictionary. So you can take most of your ology classes and you can get them out of the Greek dictionary. For example, the Greek word anthropos means man. So if you want an ology about studying man, what would it be? Anthropology. Very good. All right, we'll try another one. The Greek word for old or ancient is archaeos. So if you want to talk about or study something about the old things, what would it be? Archaeology. Very good. Now we'll do some with some Bible terms to see how you do. There is a Bible term in Greek, ekklesia. Ekklesia means the church. That's right. So if you're studying in theology specifically church and how the church is set up and church doctrine and, and, and issues about the church and church fellowship and, and the sacraments of the church, that part would be called, any guesses? Ecclesiology. Very good. Y'all are ologists. Y'all are ologiologists. <laughs> now, there's eschatos is the Greek word for the end of things, the endings. So if we wanted to make a study of the end times, we would call that eschatology. Very good. You'll find good theology is as easy as one, two, three. All right, you and me, we're going to do this, okay? Good theology. One, two, three. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to learn the three steps of good theology. This is good to learn. You'll be thinking, how does this change my life? I'll tell you at the end. You will not be the same as you were when you came in here. This is not merely mental gymnastics. This is important for us to know if we want to be good theologians. Now... You may disagree with me on this, but I'm going to tell you a story for a minute. I went to hear a pretty famous guy who's a pretty famous preacher. I went to hear him. I think maybe Lewis was with me and Becky and Michelle. There, there was a, we, we, we bought a table at this event to hear this fellow speak. This was after Hurricane Katrina had devastated New Orleans. And this fellow got up and he delivered his lesson, if you will, his sermon, his speech, whatever it was. I think Mike and Debbie Riddle might have been there too. And what this fellow said is, is the reason Hurricane Katrina destroyed and, and did all that damage to New Orleans is because of all the sin in New Orleans and hurricanes are God's judgment upon the sin of man. And I said to Lewis, as we were driving home, that was really bad theology. It was, in my opinion, bad theology. And this guy's a pretty famous preacher who preaches some really good sermons and some really good stuff. 
But I did want to email him and ask him if he thought Ike was a pronouncement of the sin on our church because we lost power for two weeks. I think maybe he'd back away now and see that good theology is important, gang. And it's easy to do. It's a three-step process. But we need to learn the steps and we need to do it. So we're going to talk about these three steps today. We're going to practice these three steps today. And then as we cover a, a, a whole gamut of Paul's theology, we're going to be using these three steps because we're going to be good students. Step number one, you have to understand the scripture you're looking at in its context. You need to dig into that scripture, understand what it means, and put it within its context before you do anything else. That's the reason. Before we started the theology of Paul, we've covered his life and his writings. So we've got a an context and an understanding in which to to put the scriptures so for example you can take this scripture out of romans 2 verse 6 in romans 2 verse 6 paul says that god will render to each one according to his works he goes on to say to the person who takes pleasure in doing good he's going to get eternal life but to the person whose sins he goes to hell Now, if you just look at that verse and you do no more than pull that verse out, you might think that God's judgment of humanity, you and me, our eternal destination, is based on what we do. If you took that verse out of its context and you didn't dig into it, you might walk away with that. I had more discussions than I can count with a friend who I work with who is absolutely convinced that we're saved based on our works on what we do and this is his scripture and every time I make a plea to him can we put the scripture within context and he doesn't really want to do that that's 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 not good theology Good theology means you put it within the Scripture's context. And if we do that and study it, we'll see that Paul in Romans starts out by saying there are two ways you can go to heaven. One way is never, ever sin. God's principles of judgment. He'll render to each man as they've done. That's this passage. So if you just won't sin, you'll go to heaven because God's a good, honest, square judge. That's one way. Now, any honest and sensitive reader is going to say, I'm not going through that door. I've already blown it. Which is the wonderful part of Romans 3 where Paul says, However, we now have a second way. For anybody who's not perfect, there's another way, and that's by faith in Christ. See the difference? So you put this into context, then it changes what it is. So the first thing we need to do as good students is understand the Scripture in context. Do the exegesis is the the Greek word uh, that, that, that we get from it. It's the theological word. It means we're going to study or exegesis. Uh, 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 analyze, digest the Scripture itself. Does that make sense? 
So if I want to do good theology, I find my scriptures that I, I'm using, and the first thing I do is make sure I understand what that scripture means in that place in the Bible. Step one. Now, after you examine that scripture and do that, you go to step two. Step two in good theology is where you start pulling together from different places in the Bible related scriptures. So... First, you understand the Scripture in its context. Then you start taking Scriptures that you understand in their context that you've uh, 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 studied and examined. And you pull them together. And you start comparing them with each other and contrasting them with each other to try to put together theology. This is actually the, a part of theology called biblical theology because you're taking Bible passages. Here's an example. We'll do biblical theology together. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It, the gospel, is the power of God to save. Now the first thing we do is what? Understand that passage in its context. And so, for example, that word gospel, it's helpful for us to know that gospel is the Greek word for good news. So Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the good news. The good news is God's power to save. Well, what is the good news? By the gospel, um, does, does Paul mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Oh, I know you're thinking probably Mark. Um, <laughs> because it's the shortest. Um, Matthew, Mark... Luke or John, which gospel does he not shame over? You know, I've got, I've got my, look at this, look at this right here, here it is. Gospel according to Matthew. Do you think that's what Paul means when Paul says gospel? Does he mean maybe the gospel according to Mark? Maybe he means the gospel according to Luke. It's got, it's got it there too, the gospel according to Luke. Maybe John. Well, if we do some biblical theology, we know gospel means good news, but let's pull in some verses from some other places and compare them. Let's go, after we exegete and, and see gospel means good news and we study this passage, let's do the next step. Let's gather and compare and contrast. And then maybe in the process we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, I had great slides. And y'all aren't following them because I'm sorry. So first exegesis, gospel, it means good news. You with me? So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now we want to pull some other passages together. We want to gather them and compare them and contrast them. So maybe we go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul says, I would remind you of the gospel... I preach. Ah, here's the good news that Paul preached. Here's where we're going to see what Paul means by gospel. Does Paul mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? None of the four. For Paul, the good news that he preached was Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. That's the good news to Paul. 
the good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised. So when we think now, as we're putting our theology of the gospel together and we're going back to Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, we're starting to see a little more. Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed that Jesus Christ died for my sins, was buried and resurrected. That doesn't shame me at all. Paul's saying, Paul, aren't you a bit embarrassed that you need a Savior? Aren't you a bit embarrassed that you're not good enough on your own to go to heaven? Poor Paul, such a sinner. He needs someone. Paul says, doesn't shame me at all. And if we continued reading in Romans, Romans 1.17, Paul says, because the gospel, Jesus dying, that's the power of God to save everyone who has faith. The righteous will live by faith. It's from faith first to last. He says, that's it. So you see, biblical theology, first we take a passage and we study it. But then we do that, that's exegesis, step one. Step two, biblical theology. We compare other Bible passages and contrast them and gather them together. Does that make sense? Okay. Then we go to step three. Step one, exegesis. Step two, biblical theology. And final step, Easy as A, B, C, one, two, three. We logically process these passages together. We start trying to figure out how it all seems to fit together. And it's like putting the Rubik's Cube together. Okay? So that we get all the reds on one side and we get all of the blues on one side and all of the yellows on one side. That's what we want to do. That's how we'll do our theology. So, for example, in this class, next week, we're going to start with Paul's theology on God. Now, Paul uses the word God. Oh, what's the Greek word for God? Theos. Paul uses the word theos almost a thousand times in his writings. Paul has so much to say about God. But it's very interesting. Paul is never writing to people who are unbelievers. Paul's letters are all written to believing Christians. So we don't have Paul at any place saying, let me teach you about God. God is this, God is this, God is this. He's not this, he's not this, he's not that. Paul doesn't ever do that. Paul is writing to people who already know God. And so for us to understand what Paul thinks in, about God, we really need to do theology. There's no one passage or one paragraph or one chapter we can go to. We need to start sorting it. Now, I've just pulled out of the thousands, almost a thousand places he talks of God, I've pulled five different passages out. The first thing we do is try to understand these scriptures in context, right? So, Galatians 3.20, Paul says, God is one. In the context of that, he's talking about how um, uh, there's a mediator between God and man, but, but there is only one God. Don't ever be confused. There's only one. He says also in Galatians 2 that God shows no partiality. God doesn't have favorites. God doesn't look differently on one set of people than the other. God doesn't play favorites when it comes to money. An economic status. 
God doesn't play favorites. You know, it's not where, oh, the wealthier people, they need to sit closer to the collection baskets. Those that aren't as wealthy can sit in the rows where maybe it may not make it each time. God doesn't assign seating based on skin color. God doesn't have favorites based upon uh, personality. Oh, God must really like her. She's delightfully funny. Okay. God doesn't play favorites, Paul says, and neither do I. So that's that passage. Paul says in Galatians um, 3.20, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. God, Paul's saying, you don't sit here and make fun of God without there being consequences. He talks in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 about the word of God. God has spoken. God has a word. He talks in 1 Thessalonians 2, 2 that, that he says, we had boldness in our God. He puts God as ours. He personalizes God. We had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God. Oh, by the way, what does Paul mean by gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ on our behalf. We had boldness in our God to declare that Jesus died for you. God's good news for us. So, after we understand these in context, then we pull these together. And that's what we've just done. We've just grabbed each one of these and put them together. So we've got these passages. In preparing our lessons on God, which will probably take three weeks to cover, in preparing what I've done and what I'd urge you to do, is I've taken the writings of Paul. and You won't have time to take all of them. I've been working on it for a while. You've got a week before next Sunday. So just grab one of his letters and get a legal pad. Oh, I, I'm a lawyer. Get a sheet of paper. Sorry. <laughs> we have legal pads in my office. Um, get some paper. Get a spiral notebook. Get whatever you've got you take notes in. Get your Bible open. Get a pen. And start reading. And everywhere you see Paul mention God, make a note. Make a note. And don't just make a note, but try to keep it in context. What does he say about God here? What does he say about God there? What does he say about God? And when you're done and you've got it, start doing the next thing. Kind of start, uh, you've, you've now pulled these out. You've understood them in their context. You've pulled them out. Then we're going to do step three. Start logically processing this. Start sorting them. Start thinking through them. So, for example, the, the ones that we just had, God is one. The Word of God boldness in our God. If you wanted to put all of those into a bucket, my bucket for that is these are passages where Paul talks about what God is like, his substance, if you will. You know, that, that God's just one. Not a group of gods. There is one God. That God is something, someone who speaks. God has a message. God has a word. God's given us a word. The Word of God. So something about God's substance. God's not simply uh, the force. Nothing personal, Luke Skywalker. God speaks. We can see that God. Paul talks about the boldness before our God. 
God is someone who, who relates to us. That we exist in relationship with Him. It's not just there is the God out there. Paul can speak of Him as our God. So this substance of God is something that's, that's got personality. It's something... Well, that's, our English, uh, um, that's our human word for it. But God's not a machine. God's not just some force. God, God has speaks and relates to, is one. You see, these are passages that talk about the substance of God. Does that make sense? But as we're sorting, those other two passages, they were kind of, I put them in a different bucket. Where Paul says God doesn't show partiality and God's not mocked. In those places, Paul's talking about God as a judge. And, and we're going to go into that in more detail because Paul, you know, there is, God is not just in substance and these things, but Paul talks about what God does. And God has a role as the judge, the, the, the ultimate decision maker who meets out as he sees fit. And that's this scholastic theology. That's this, this uh, process that we're talking about. Now, Next point. So what? Some of you may think, so what? Who cares about the big fancy words? Who cares about putting all of this together? Why can't we just read the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and just be happy there? Why would we want to go further and digest this? You know, I had a law school professor who taught us a class in ethics. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> law school, ethics. What was it, a five-minute five seminar? <laughs> no, it was a whole semester. We met like twice. Um, <laughs> it was a whole semester. And... I always thought it humorous. Understand, I'm in there having just finished uh, taking uh, uh, my finishing my course of study to preach, where I had taken a course on ethics. And so it was interesting to me to sit in the legal ethics class after I've studied from a Christian ministerial perspective ethics. And um, the professor said to us one day, I think he was talking about writing wills at the time. But he said, when you do this, use all of these really big, difficult words. And make it sound very structured and legal. And one of the students raised their hand and says, that doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't we want to write things in a very normal... Teacher looked at him like he was a weirdo. And the professor said, listen, you're going to send out a huge bill when you're done. If you write this in language everybody understands, they're not going to want to pay that big bill. They're going to say, he didn't do anything I couldn't have done. You've got to write this in really big, hard-to-understand language so that they'll pay that really big bill because they'll be so impressed with what you did. And I was sitting there thinking, this is legal ethics. Very interesting. 
But I will confess, I was reminded of this a short time later. One of my dearest friends who did not take his preaching degree and go to law school. Instead, he uh, uh, went to preach for a church in Alabama. And I was talking to him afterwards as I was in law school and he was preaching and I was talking about the different paths our lives had taken. And my friend said to me, he said, Hey, do you know something that an older preacher has told me to do that they never taught us in school? I said, What's that? He said, Once every three to four months, I stand up and I preach a sermon on theology that's so deep and so intellectual that nobody understands it. I said, you do what? He told me again. He says, do you know why? I said, I'm clueless. He said, so everyone out there will remember that I know things they don't know and they better pay attention when I talk. And I thought, you know, that's almost trading in the same currency as my ethics professor. You're just not charging them money. Instead, you're doing the opposite. Now, then I reach a point in my life where I meet Dr. Bob. And Dr. Bob's going to take me under his wing and teach me how to try cases better than I do without it. And one of the rules Dr. Bob has for any case we try is within one minute of me speaking to the jury within the first minute I'm gonna tell the jury this sentence this theme of our case every case I have within one minute if you're in court listening to me you will hear these words from me ladies and gentlemen this is a simple case now understand we try cases that deal with very elaborate scientific issues of homeostasis and thromboxane and prostacycline and the way they end to react and whether or not there's endothelial expression of them that comes from measurements of okay but ladies and gentlemen this is a simple case or we'll we've tried cases that deal with massive questions of hydrology and water flow where we have a Nobel scientist who comes in and testifies about the effects of benzene uh, uh, in an underground aquifer and the claying uh, uh, effects of various underground terrain. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a simple case. Bob's view is, I said to Bob one time, I said, well, I can't say that. This is like not a simple case. He said to me, then you need to fix the case. You need to make it simple. Because there's nothing, there is nothing that we can't discuss and figure out how to make understandable if we just put our minds to it. And the goal behind this class and the goal behind good theology and the goal of being a teacher, a preacher, or a lawyer should never be to set yourselves up or ourselves up as someone who knows more or is so far beyond in intellectual prowess, garbage. All we're trying to do here is understand God a little better to make a difference in our lives. And my pledge to you is I'll try to work hard enough to take some of the, the thoughts of some of the greatest minds of Christian history and figure out how we can make them digestible so that you don't have to spend 60 hours to fathom what they're saying. Instead, we'll do it in our 45 minutes each Sunday morning. 
So this is a graduate school class, if you will. But the so what question goes beyond so what. Why do we want to know those words? The words don't have value in themselves. We don't want to know them so that we sound extra smart or we can bill people for listening to our Sunday school class. We don't want to know them to add them to letters to look really good and impressive. We learn these words because they're helpful to us to understand the ideas. So we'll learn some words as we go along. Theology. We'll break them apart and we'll discuss them so that we know when we talk about Paul's theology, we're talking about what Paul thinks about God or says about him in some aspect, in church, ecclesiology, in whatever it may be. Next, so what question? Why are we doing this? David said this morning in a sermon, what would you do if you had 30 days left to live? Well, some people think we only have maybe 30 days left to live. <laughs> I been, did some stock analysis this week. And I projected some trend lines. And if everything continues the way it's gone for the last week, within 30 days, a group of us can get together and we'll be able to buy all of General Electric <laughs> for about $300 total if things continue the way they've been going. I was looking for a slide to illustrate my point about why some of us may be saying, who cares about theology? I've lost 30% of my net worth in my retirement this month. And I couldn't decide which picture to use. I thought, well, we might use that one or we could use this one. Um, what, wasn't really sure which picture would best fit the issue. But the question arises, who cares? The theme verse, if these economic times have you concerned, if the political climate has you concerned, I would ask you to live in Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Take off. Get out of here. Behold, the wicked bend the bow. They put their arrow to the string. They're going to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. Here's the question. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? David answers. David says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. He tests the righteous. He ends... The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. We've got turbulent times. We've got issues. We've got things going on. But I want to tell you, that's not a time to ignore God. That's a time to get to know God. Because the upper, when the foundations are being destroyed, I got a rock that doesn't roll. Quote Larry Norman. I've got a, a foundation they can't be shaken. I've got a dwelling place that withstands hurricanes. 
that never runs out of power, where the water is always pure. That's what I've got. That's what you've got. Now, don't we want to study about him more? Don't we want to? You know, I loved Pastor Fleming's question this morning. He said, I accepted Jesus when I was nine. My goal is, when I'm dead, to have gotten to know him a little better during the dash. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, baby. Not as in baby, but as in baby. You need milk. Not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he's a baby, a child. Solid food is for the mature. Oh, we could be happy with simply going through the same things we've heard all of our lives in Sunday school. Or we could say, no, I'm not just into the milk, I want to grow. I don't mean that people aren't teaching growth things in Sunday school. I think all of the Sunday school classes in this church, they work really hard to provide serious nutrition. We just don't want to lag behind. I'm not going to stand up here and teach you, I hope, things that you've been hearing every week for all of your life. If I do, then you have every right in the world to go to sleep. And to get a donut to go with your milk. But we're going to have some stiff coffee. Or better yet. You know what that is? Ah, theology. <laughs> we got some meat, baby. Not baby, but baby. We got some meat. We're going to put some meat on them bones. We're going to digest it. We're going to chew on it. We're going to pass them ribs over here. See, we're going to talk about the one God. Did you know who believes in the Trinity? Do you know the word Trinity is not in the Bible? Do you know where Trinity comes from? Well, the Trinity is God. But that word is a product of theology. There is not one passage in the Bible that teaches us the doctrine of the Trinity. And if you've got friends who say to you, well, teach me the Trinity, you don't have one passage to go to. There are two places in Scripture where the, the passage does talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't explain the, the concept of the Trinity or at least how much we can know about it. If we want to understand God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we have to do it through theology, which is an appropriate way to get to know God better. So what's ahead of us here? What are we going to do in this class? What's our destination? Change slide. Change. Destination ahead. We're going to start talking about God. We're going to understand different aspects of what Paul taught and thought about God. We're going to cover a number of different things that I've outlined in the syllabus, God willing. We're going to cover those uh, 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 as we go along. If you've got some additional things, we've got a kind lady in this class who emailed me at the very start of all of this and said, you better cover that. And I had not planned on it. So it's added. You may have some things you want covered. Tell me. Email me. We can adjust it. We're not locked in. But we'll cover things as diverse as God. We'll talk about Paul on guidance. How do you know what God wants you to do? 
How do you know where God wants you to go? How do you know how God wants you to be? What does Paul have to say about guidance? Does God talk in an audible voice? Do you get a vision on the road to Damascus? Or for Paul, was that a unique experience? You know, what, what does Paul have to say about guidance? We'll talk about that. What does Paul have to say about charismatic gifts? Should we be singing and dancing and jumping pews and speaking in tongues and rolling down the aisles? What do we do? Why do we do it? What's the theology? Maybe you want a charismatic gift that you don't have. Is it available? If so, how do you get it? Now, I'm not telling you I have all these answers. This is the hardest thing I've ever taught because it's, it's very difficult to go through these processes. And a lot of what I'm going to have to wind up telling you is here are some different views. And you pay your money and take what you want. You know, you figure it out. I can't just stand up here and spoon feed you. If I was doing that, we'd be back at baby food. So I'll tell you what the meal is and how I plan on eating mine, and you can figure out how you plan on eating yours. Uh, we're going to talk about what Paul says about the end times. Eschatology. Uh, by the way, that's kind of a bad slide because the revelation was to John. But we'll talk about what Paul said about end times. Now, I've got to give you some warnings. I've got to tell you that it's real easy to twist scripture. But we don't want to do the twist on the scriptures. It's very easy for us to take scripture and twist it around a pole so that it fits exactly into the little box that we've prepared for it. God's ways are beyond our ways. God's mind is beyond our mind. We don't fathom the depths and the riches of God. We will never fully understand God. We are finite and He is infinite. But that doesn't mean we can't learn more about Him and understand Him more fully. So our goal is to understand Him more fully, but we'll always be mindful of the mystery because He is beyond us. Points for home. Number one, be excited. It's going to be a good meal. Bring your friends who don't go to a Sunday school class right now who are interested in theology. They may not agree with everything I say and you can tell them right out, I've, I'm saying you may not agree with everything I say and I'm not asking you to. But let's start talking about God. Let's throw it out there. Let's digest it. Let's see what Paul's saying about it. Second, this is not so we can become mental giants. This is so we can grow up in the Lord. This is because we want to better understand His Word. We want to better understand His nature. We want to understand what God has for us in, in our lives. This is so that we can grow up. Last point for home. Paul told Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as someone who's rightly handling the word of truth. So we're going to be good students by the grace of God and by His wisdom and by His leading. I commit to you, I'll try and put in the time and effort to prepare the classes to help lead us through it. I'd ask you to commit to me to pray for me as you think about it. Even if you just think about it in class, still offer up the prayer. These are very difficult to prepare 
but it's something I'm excited about, and I hope you'll be here and share this journey with me. So next week, we'll start talking about what Paul says about God. Grab one of his books. Make some notes if you get a chance this week. It's a wonderful thing you can do to get ready. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much. It's thrilling to know that in your depths and the riches of your storehouses and treasures that you have promised to lead us in discovering more about you. And it is our fervent, heartfelt prayer that through this class and our time with you independently and, and, and in this class, we will grow to know you more and, and see the changes that makes in our lives because we want to be like you. We need you in our lives. We need you teaching us, empowering us, comforting us, holding us. And we long to know you better. It's our commitment to you that through your Holy Spirit we will seek to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.